Hello, and welcome to the CX Cast, where we talk about all things experience. I'm Adele Sage, joined as always by Angelina Jenis. Hello, Angelina. Hey, hey, Adele. We have a special guest today, as we like to do, invite folks who are practitioners out there to talk about the great work that they're doing that we can all learn from. So today, I'm excited to introduce Lance Thornswood, the Senior Vice President and Head of Design at U.S. Bank. He is here to talk about how he has scaled the design practice there, and he's he's ready to share lots of detail for what's gone well, what hasn't gone so well, what you can all learn from when you're scaling your own design practices. So Lance, welcome. Let's start out by talking about you and the organization that you lead. So give us the, the overview of, of what you do over at U.S. Bank, please. For sure. We are a, within my team, we're a mostly centralized product UX design team. And we serve the entire enterprise of U.S. Bank. That's been an evolution. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that as well. But we really serve the entire enterprise, ranging from our consumer digital products all the way across to our Fortune 500 uh, and even a platforms team that is uh, reasonably new and really excited about. We are a large team and we've grown very significantly. We're about 350 designers today. Wow. Yeah, I still can't believe it. And we have a full suite of capabilities, everything from a design thinking consultancy to help frame up the right problems, make sure we're actually solving problems that customers need us to solve. And then, you know, the things you probably expect in product UX design, experience architecture. Are colleagues coming to you with customer and business problems to solve, or are you going out and finding the customer and business problems to solve for U.S. Bank? Yeah, it is definitely the full spectrum there. And as we have transformed into a much more digitally centric company over the last several years, we've seen that sweep of demand kind of shift. And so the idea of bringing this radically different design thinking approach that says rather than reductive, you know, it's expansive and additive thinking. I think people look at that and they go, wow, I had no idea this even existed, but what a great way to get at different ideas. So that that for us has been kind of this magic key that opens every door. How did you get folks to even know that you were offering that as a service initially? Yeah, we began about five years ago doing what at the time we were calling vision and co-creation. And so essentially, we it was design thinking, but we were really following just natural kind of design practice, right? We said, okay, well, if we have a customer you need, we're trying to resolve, the first thing we need to do is understand what it is that the customer is struggling with from a few hours to kind of a week-long design sprint kind of thing. One of the early ones that we did, I had some fairly senior level executives from one of our lines of business. We're talking executive VP and above. And people commented that for an entire afternoon, these senior execs weren't looking at their phone They weren't stepping out to take phone calls. They were fully engaged. And I remember even afterward having some of them come up to me and say, I really had no idea I could sketch or draw or 
think this way. And I think that became this magical demand creation where everyone said, okay, I've never seen anything like this, but it was amazing and I've got to have some. Because it was called vision and co-creation, right? VCC. I kept getting calls from people saying, I want a VCC. And it was very funny. And it just really blossomed into this thing where we said, it was really the Google design sprint methodology that I think was our entree. And we essentially said, well, that is a design thinking methodology. Let's formalize that. And as we added more of the design thinking toolkit, it just became something that people heard about and wanted more of. So we kind of can't keep up with demand in some ways. I like that you started with sort of a tried and true methodology and then evolved into what you what your your business needs, the larger suite of needs for the business. And it kind of grew naturally as your services grew and your culture kind of began to accept what you guys were doing. It's very cool. So as your team was growing, did you end up having to divide up efforts by business lines or are they sort of sitting in skill-based teams? How is such a large team divided up? It's a terrific question, and it's one that we have wrestled with over the course of time. Early days, we we were very, very much an ad hoc. So let's go back pre-digital transformation, right? We really kind of started this department little to nothing. Our conclusion was that it would make sense to create a centralized team and to really help create from nothing an organization. We felt that the practice area was the absolute best initial structure. And that lasted us, I would say, almost two years. In terms of numbers, I'm just curious, when you were organized that way, how many people were were in the group total at that point? During that roughly two-year period, we grew from around 20 designers to 40 to just over 100 over a almost two-year time frame, the primary home, their primary identification, right? So you become a designer in the product team as opposed to a designer in a central design team. And we kind of straddle those worlds even now, but I think the, our shift and our actual structure is much more oriented around the line of business and the actual product that each team is responsible for creating, maintaining. And then how do people stay connected without the community of practice as their organizing structure? We retained the community of practice structure, but it is no longer a reporting structure. It is really, truly a community structure. And so each of the communities is led by a self-organized group of both more senior folks and just highly energetic go-getters, right? Folks who want the opportunity to lead from the front, right? They want to give back. They want to contribute. We really allow those teams to function as kind of as if they were their own product businesses. The actual reporting lines do report back up to a centralized structure. 
And so that's one way that we also maintain the sense of commonality that we're all on one big design team. It's a little matrixed, obviously, but it's worked pretty well for us. The big thing here is you started as a community. There's this history that folks have of being connected in a certain way. It's sometimes much harder to do the reverse, which is start embedded and then get folks to come together and feel like a community of practice is worth their time. So that cultural component of the and the order of operations seemed to click together really well. We knew that we needed to develop that core expertise and this sort of baseline understanding. And so that was what drove it. And like I say, it was a bit of a happy accident, but I'm glad that we did start that way. And that content community is way larger than just the product design content strategist team. And so by opening that up, very happy accidents where we built really super relationships across the entire company and we're all benefiting from each other's skills. I'm guessing that some tools came into play too. When you were talking about openness with things like goals and designs, I was also thinking about design systems and how those are also a way to be open about design across an organization. Can you talk a little bit about the design operations stuff that you have in play that helps with the the way you've been able to scale? We ended up going down the path, I think as most companies probably were doing in 2016, 2017, we went down the path of the sketch envision ecosystem. You can go and inspect the designs and be implementing those, then there's not a need for sitting down and handing off. It's a a continual handoff, right? We have continued to evolve that. As a highly regulated business, we also have some additional layers of info security and things that potentially limit some options. So while many of us come from environments where collaboration tools are dime a dozen, you can get whatever you want, we we have to be very methodical, right, about things like Can we have a chat client? And if so, what is that? And so we've had a number of folks, every new person that joins the bank says, cool, when when I get my Slack account, right? And I wish I could say, yes, here it is. Unfortunately, we've struggled with that as not being secure enough for our environment. Great news is we do have a very robust Office 365 implementation that we've jokingly called like the cheap version, but honestly, over time, It has become a really great go-to and really our probably our core tool for communication outside of the actual tool set itself. And what about the design system? We recognize the need early on in the evolution of our department to have a common suite of design components and templates and What would you do if you were starting with a blank screen, right? And so as we began to develop the design system, we aligned with the work priorities that we were already doing. We were early enough in the evolution of design as a function and in in building the value perception that we knew that we would have a very big uphill climb to be able to make a case for, hey, let's pause and build a design system. So we said, let's build it opportunistically as we're building the products. 
our public website was number one, and it was really an opportunity for us to start to put some of the core fundamentals of a design system together. The really simple things, it was that cycle of prove value, ask for some more commitment, prove additional value, ask for some further commitment. And we got into a place where we could really say, it makes sense to make this investment. Our design system internally is something that we call SHIELD with the idea that it is here to help us protect our brand and the way that we deliver value to our customers. So now SHIELD is a quite robust atomic system that covers web, mobile app across both Android and iOS. And we're continuing to evolve that. It started to address all of the needs in the consumer space. And as we've become an enterprise-wide service, we've also encountered needs for molecules and organisms and templates. And so with a name like S.H.I.E.L.D., do you call yourselves the Avengers? (laughs) The agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) That's all I can think of. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. I thought that's the first thing I thought of. Like, yes, shield. (laughs) Have you found as you've expanded your design system that the buy-in has naturally also kind of expanded more and more folks see the value? I imagine starting with the website's very logical. It's also just very contentious. There's so many stakeholders. Once you prove the value there, was it just coasting to kind of get everyone else on board? We had taken the pause to develop one core set of fundamental behaviors. There is one and only one in the entire enterprise that we're going to ask you to give us an address. We'll validate it the same way. It will always be the same. And the moment that I remember vividly was working with a line of business we hadn't worked with before. We had the developers and the line in a big conference call. And one of the developers said, wait a minute, you mean we don't need to code this? We just get it? And it was like the heavens opened up and trumpets played and angels came out. It was this moment of glory. And from that point onward, that's been my favorite example. I share that with people and I say, how many times have you sat in a call and debated, how do you validate a zip code, right? What if you just got that and you could just plug it in and keep going? And I know it's kind of mundane, but it's one of those things that everyone consistently, you never think about it. You don't have to test it. You don't have to make it accessible every time because the fundamental reusable component already is. It's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. How liberating. <laughs> Where are you headed with this team? What's, what's the next big mountain you want to climb or accomplishment you want to see for your rapidly growing team? I don't want to grow so rapidly (laughs) (laughs) because we have doubled every year. We have doubled five years running every year. And I have begun joking with my colleagues that at our current rate, the design department will be bigger than the entire bank, which of course is insanity. So um, it's been lovely because that has been driven by value creation, perceived value. We've moved to the major divisions of the company, right? So it's, it's been great. Start with consumer, add small business, add corporate, but we, now we are enterprise-wide. So I think we won't grow that rapidly. 
we are still working on is recognition of the true value of design in creating ROI for the company. When we started in the consumer space, it was relatively by everyone that was working together that design was an obvious kind of part of the equation. I think that was driven by the nature of the people we had hired. We expressly hired to kind of build a new reinvented mobile app, very experienced digital product people from within financial services and other industries. So it was a very intentional creation of a culture that recognized that experience is inherently valuable to the customer and that that creates value for the bank. As we've expanded to serve the entire enterprise, we now cover this spectrum of perception of value from very ad hoc to fully integrated. Fully integrated being the consumer space, for example. Lines of business that we've only recently begun working with have kind of the old school perception in some cases that, oh, okay, so design comes along at the end and paints the room, right? It's whatever you've got, you'll just make it look good. Of course, all of us listening here, all of a sudden this conversation, we all know that design is far more than that. And so for me, one of the biggest goals and one of the biggest challenges is how can we drive that perception of value enterprise-wide so that we are A, producing value that people can perceive and measure and count? And how do we shift perception away from design as a sort of a cost to be minimized, as a resource capacity to be managed, which of course it always will be, but how do we take it away from being one of the materials that's necessary to build the structure to becoming a core fundamental that actually is the lever that creates value? And so I think that we are seeing that in some of our mature businesses. And as we get into some of the parts of the enterprise that are new to design, how to create that value, measure it, prove it out, and create that virtuous cycle. Well, Lance, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to refer to you as the Nick Fury of the uh, U.S. Bank design team over there, your, your Avengers. It was really just a, a pleasure to hear more from you about how you've scaled this design practice. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's been a great conversation. Everybody, that was Lance Thornswood, the head of design from U.S. Bank. Thanks for listening to the CX Cast, and we will. See you next time. Thanks so much.